It's Monday, May 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Howdy. We've got earnings to get to, but it is Merger Monday in a big <laughs> way. AT&T is combining its entertainment and media assets with those of Discovery. The resulting company will be large and will have TV, movie, and streaming offerings with brands that you already know, HBO Max, CNN, TNT, TBS, Cartoon Network, combined with HGTV, Food Network, TLC, Discovery Plus. This is an all-stock deal. AT&T shareholders are going to own 71%. Discovery shareholders will own 29%. There are a bunch of things to get to, but what is your what is your reaction to this deal? Uh, well, I mean, in the immortal words of the great Ron Burgundy, the first thing that came to mind was that escalated quickly. Uh, <laughs> because it doesn't seem like it was all that long ago that AT&T was really making their bets when it came to... Uh, content and media, and uh, just doesn't seem like that's really going to pan out. Um, I, I, and I think, honestly, I think that's probably the right decision. I think that what this really boils down to, ultimately, and this may just be a simplistic way of looking at it, but but here you go, uh, I think this really boils down to connectivity. And, and, and what I mean by that is, as we see the continued rollout of, of 5G, as we spend the next decade watching all of the, the impacts from uh, the build-out of these 5G networks, and then as we watch, I mean, ultimately, we're going to see 6G and, and so forth. I mean, really, this all boils down to connectivity. And I think for a while, you had companies like AT&T and, and even Verizon, I mean, Verizon divesting some of their uh, content properties as well. I think these companies were trying to have uh, have their cake and eat it too, maybe a little bit. Uh, but but I think that it became a little bit more clear here that they recognize they need to focus. They need to really focus and double down on what they do well first and foremost, which is connecting people. And and so um, ultimately, I think this is a sensible move because. We're saying merger Monday, of course, and, and, and with that merger, we're also talking about divestiture. And, and I think this will give a chance, uh, this will give AT&T a chance to really focus on what they do well. Uh, and, and at the same time, I think it will create a very compelling media company with a lot of valuable IP. So, so I'm interested to see how this develops. I am too. Um, and l- before we move off of AT&T, I think it, it, it's worth pointing out, John Stanky, the, the CEO at AT&T, he's been an executive at that company for almost a decade. And this move, among other things, is an admission that the acquisition, they made, the $85 billion acquisition they made in 2018 was a mistake. And you know, he was talking this morning on CNBC about well, the landscape changed, and it's like I, I get that, but this is also an admission that this this has not worked at all, and they are trying to deal with the the enormous amount of debt they have in their balance sheet. In terms of the resulting offering, uh, David Zasloff from Discovery, the CEO of Discovery. Um, Boy, he is not lacking for confidence when he talks about <laughs> this resulting entity saying, we've got the best media IP in the world, we're going to be the number one media company in the world, talking about you know, predicting 400 million uh, direct-to-consumer homes that they're going to be in. That is a lofty goal, but that <laughs> that's, uh, that's going to be interesting to see how close they get to 400 million. Well, I, I, I 
I do agree that they have a very compelling um, collection of of media uh, brands. I mean that that to me is is really the, the most attractive part of this is the potential because of all of those different brands. I mean, generally speaking, I mean, you look at a business like Netflix, for example, and, and I mean, we've, we've followed Netflix really forever. And I mean, it, it's always been sort of this push and pull between the number of subscribers that Netflix continues to sign up. It's just astounding. Um, and and on, on the flip side of the coin, the amount of money that they spend on content is is equally astounding. And and so I, I think that when you, to me, I mean that that I, I've never all I've never been all all that impressed with Netflix's content. I mean I understand they're they're building that stuff out and trying to come up uh, with with ownership of of, of their own IP. Um, I, I think this really speaks to the value in in well established IP. I mean when you look at all of the different properties that, that are going to be under this one umbrella, it it is I I can see a lot of different ways they can succeed. And and ultimately they're going to have the bank account to to spend on the content, right? So not only do they have a ton of content already out there, uh, but but they're also going to have the pockets to continue to invest in that content to really scratch a lot of different itches. I mean, they're going to be able to cater to a number of different types of consumers with all of these different channels, uh, so to speak, all of these different media properties, all these different these different shows. I mean, they're going to be able they're going to be able to we- reach a very wide demographic. So I, I do like. Um, I, I like the potential there. And on the flip side, honestly, I like that this gives AT&T a chance to focus more really on building out their network. And, and I know we had talked about this uh, uh, several weeks or, or months ago, but, but recently um, the, the FCC had announced the, the winners of this $81 billion auction for this 5G bandwidth. And for this 5G spectrum, and and so when you look at that 81 billion dollars, Verizon was the big spender, spending around 45 billion dollars. But AT&T uh, spent close to 24 billion dollars in in that in that bid. So th- that's something that's going to continue as well. I mean, they're going to need to continue to invest in spectrum, in capability, in infrastructure to be able to continue to deliver all of this data, all of this stuff. Ultimately, it gets back to that word I was, I was uh, talking about at the very beginning, connectivity. I mean, um, so, so I think that sometimes we talk about how uh, divestitures or, or sort of splits can, can be value creating. I, I do see in this case, I think there's a lot of potential here for this to create value on both sides of the equation. Because if you look at the last five years, for example, AT&T and Verizon together, uh, I mean, investments in those two businesses would have made you some money, but they're certainly not lighting the world on fire, and, and the market has, has outperformed them handily. So, so maybe this gives, maybe this, uh, this, this sort of trend we're seeing with Verizon and, and now with AT&T, this is going to give them a chance to get, get back down to brass tacks and focus on doing what they do best. Lastly, I'll just say, um, when asked if he has any regulatory concerns about this, John Stanky said no. And I I think he's right about this. I I, I have a hard time seeing this deal being stopped. Um, But just sticking with concerns for a second, I, I think if you're Netflix or Disney, I don't think at this moment you're particularly concerned about this. Because 
Zaslav and his team have so many things to figure out, including, by the way, how they're going to sell this. Are they going to bundle it? Is it going to be one offering? Is it going to be more like a Disney situation where they say, well, we've got Disney Plus, we've got Hulu, we've got uh, ESPN Plus. Um, so if, in the short term, anyway, I don't think if you're Netflix or Disney, you're overly concerned about this development. Totally agree. I, I mean, if, I, if I'm an investor in Netflix or if I'm working in, in the, you know, the, the, the executive suite at, at Disney, I, I, I mean, this is something you keep on your radar, but I, you don't look at something like this is a Netflix killer or a Disney killer. Because, I mean, as, as, and we talk about this a lot, obviously, when Disney was announcing Disney Plus, right? It's one thing to have all that stuff. It's another thing entirely to figure out how to package it and distribute it. And so I think that's going to be really the big challenge here going forward for this new combined entity is it's figuring out how to package it and how to distribute it uh, in such a way that, it, you know, it, it really it shines a light on all of the different content you have, yet keeps it simple. That's a very, very difficult balancing act. And, and, and we've seen Netflix has done a tremendous job at it through the years. Disney, I think, is, is, is figuring it out as well. Uh, so that, that will be something to, to certainly keep an eye on with this new newly combined entity. Let's move on to some earnings. It was a mixed first quarter for App Harvest, the agriculture tech company. Revenue was in line with expectations, but the loss for the quarter was solidly more than expected. Shares up 11%, and on the surface, you can ask why, but something you've talked before about App Harvest is you think this is one of those companies that is skating to where the puck is headed. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> um, they, I, I feel like this is a company that's still under most radars, uh, but, but I think it's going to be a company that's going to become more well-known here in, in very short order. Uh, part of that, I think, is because of this, this burgeoning ag tech space, right? We always talk about fintech and, and, and stuff like that, but ag tech really is a thing. And, and even on the call, I mean, founder and CEO uh, Jonathan Webb said very clearly, said, I quote, we're a technology company working to disrupt agriculture. And, and he refers to themselves as, as farmers and futurists. So, I mean, this is really the marrying of, of what, we know, what we know is kind of a traditional agricultural, boring sort of business. And, it, and it's bringing the tech into it, which is just very cool to see the potential there. Um, we've talked before about the value in controlled environment agriculture, CEA. Uh, the bottom line is they're figuring out ways to utilize technology to develop a more sustainable and reliable food system. And, and so App, App Harvest is one of the companies that's really focusing on doing that. They're, they're growing fruits and vegetables, primarily tomatoes right now, uh, but that is expanding out to things like cucumbers, leafy greens, strawberries, etc. Um, and, and they've developed not only a very good system, but they've developed a very, a very encouraging pipeline of activity with additional facilities that they're going to be rolling out here in the coming years. Right now, focusing on five operating farms by the end of 2022. Uh, they believe they're still well on track for 12 farms by the end of 2025. Um, it, it, this is just a company. It, it came to the public markets far earlier than it probably would have 10 years ago. I mean, the, the capability is there for these companies to come earlier uh, to the market via SPAC. Uh, and that's got its puts and takes, right? I mean, it, it probably, it's, it's, it's not going to be lobbing up the most astounding revenue numbers, I think, in the near term. I think they're talking about around $25 million in total revenue for 2021 altogether. I mean, 
that doesn't sound like it's all that much. But you also have to remember, this is a company that came public a lot earlier than it probably would have otherwise. Uh, so I, th I think it really is, it's about focusing on the future, trying to figure out what our uh, future looks like as, as, as far as agriculture here goes. And I think you look to that recent root AI acquisition, uh, artificial intelligence robotics, that's a very uh, telling sign of where App Harvest seems to believe it's heading, and, and I think a lot of other companies are, are, are following suit as well as this controlled environment agriculture continues uh, to grow. So, all in all, uh, very encouraged with the quarter, uh, very encouraged with, with uh, the future of this business, and, and uh, it's just one of those ones where you, you have to be really excited when, when you see companies like this out there. Hey, real quick before we uh, move on with earnings, um, over the weekend there were reports on a new subscription service that Twitter is working on called Twitter Blue. <laughs> the, the company didn't confirm anything, but the reports are this is $2.99 a month. Uh, it'll offer new features like editing. And the speculation is that it could lead to sort of a tiered subscription model. I'm curious, and again, Twitter hasn't confirmed any of this, but based on what you've seen of this, what is your reaction? Uh, it feels like it's <laughs> it feels like it's ten years too late. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we we were talking about this potential um, way back when Twitter first came public. Uh, so I guess better late than never. Uh, but by the same token, I, I really have a hard time believing they would find a meaningful number of people that would pay anything for the service. And that's not really to say that Twitter is a bad service. I mean, I think it's a valuable service in some cases, but you've already groomed everyone who uses it to not pay for it. I mean, they've got a big challenge in bringing in new users because it, 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 you start to kind of wonder what the future of social networking looks like, of information networking looks like. I mean, we're seeing where Facebook is starting to... Uh, lose its luster, so to speak, and therefore you see the importance of the Instagram acquisition. So, Twitter, I, I think, is kind of at that point, too. We're trying to figure out what's next. And so, I, I certainly don't fault them for trying this if they do indeed try it. Um, I, I just feel like it's a little bit too late. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It really feels like they could have tried this a long, long time ago. Um, but, I, you know, hey, time will tell. It, it, it's... Uh, it's 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 an interesting idea. I just don't know that it's something that anyone would really pay for. I I, I know I certainly wouldn't, but I'm, I'm not saying that means nobody would. <laughs> yeah, I think based on just what's come out so far, it it doesn't seem like that compelling a value proposition. Now, the the resulting product could be, but we'll yeah. wait and see. Yeah. Uh, first quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected for Hostess Brands and. I'm not saying this is a stop for the great reopening, but when you look at how they break out their sales, Hostess got a nice boost this quarter in their on-the-go segment, which is basically convenience stores. Yeah, the convenience stores and the dollar stores, they talk about that. And they mentioned and released the meaningful market share expansion, uh, gained a bit more than three percentage points uh, market share in the convenience channel, almost eight percentage points of, of market share growth in the dollar channel. So, I mean, they, they, they cater obviously to a very specific uh, store demographic, and, and you see them in all of those convenience stores. and, and uh, I, there, there's, there's some nostalgia there for a lot of these Hostess products, right? I mean, we, we think I think Twinkie is probably the first one that comes to mind. I mean, that's their ticker, I think, right? T W N K. Yep. Um, and and I, but I, I think honestly, one of the things that 
this this is kind of like Verizon and AT and T. If you invested in this business five years ago, listen, you're not you're not throttling the market by any means. But you know what? You're making money, and and that's that's pretty pretty believable, right? I mean, when you look at a business like this, I mean, they grew their top line nine percent, uh, and a lot of that strength was from Hostess. But if you remember, just uh, at the beginning of 2020, they closed on a an, another acquisition uh, company called Vortman Cookies. And uh, that's, again, just one of those Vortman-branded products you find in the convenience stores everywhere. But, uh, Chris, I don't know if you knew this, but in, in doing some research, apparently cookies are a little bit higher a little bit higher margin than snowballs. I mean, who knew, right? I didn't know, but now I do. And so I understand at least the rationale behind the acquisition. Um, it does seem like the two brands together, Hostess and Vortman, are working well. And uh, it, it's, 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 a, it's a company that we love to have fun with as we cover it. Uh, but but I, I I think it's also really worth noting that they continue to do okay. So uh, I, listen, you're gaining share, you're you're profitable, you're growing your top line, you've got tasty treats. I mean, what's not to like? Well, it's like we've said forever about Coca Cola and Pepsi. Is um, the key to these businesses is their distribution network. Yeah. And if you're a hostess, you're this established brand bringing. Uh, a, a cookie product that has higher profit margins and just seamlessly pulling them into your distribution, yeah, that can work out. Well, and imagine all of the convenience stores and the dollar stores, for example. Just just picture in your head how many of those convenience stores and dollar stores are all around our country. And then imagine that you run one of those stores, or imagine that you are a franchisor that runs a number of those stores. How nice is it to have uh, such a reliable sort of set it and forget it uh, inventory line that you know you're always just going to be stocking your store with this stuff. You don't have to overthink it. It's just like, listen, give me some ding dong, some Twinkies, some chocolate chip cookies, maybe a couple of snowballs, and I want that on an ongoing basis. I mean, it, it, you know, from a business owner's perspective, it's probably pretty darn convenient to know this stuff exists because you're going to sell them, and, and it doesn't take a lot of work to keep your store stocked with them. So I, I, I certainly understand the value proposition. <laughs> I'm going to have to go for a walk this afternoon and find some ho-hos. <laughs> Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.